we're talking about the power of a resurrected life. And we thought we'd, because we're talking about this because Easter's coming up. And Easter's one of those times that everybody knows is a significant time in the, in the calendar of the church. Um, but the trouble is that because it's significant, and, the, and I don't know about you, but the year is rushing forward at an incredible rate. Uh, it often, it's that important thing that goes blip and it's gone. And so rather than have us forget about that sort of thing, I, I want us to actually spend a couple of weeks before Easter focusing on what it actually means to live in a, a place in history where we actually get to enjoy the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so we actually have power in our life to, to be resurrected people, to actually live in that power of resurrection. And so our theme for the year is exploring my strange Bible. And so I thought I'd better find a strange scripture to go with that. And it certainly is strange. It's Philippians 3.10 and 11. And it says, I want to know Christ, and this is Paul speaking, and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And every, everybody thinks, well, that, that's, we want that. Who wants that? Yeah. And then it goes on to say, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Who wants that? No, everybody sort of doesn't feel quite so comfortable with that. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And so our, our aim over last Sunday and this Sunday is to, Sunday is to perhaps demystify um, what that scripture is talking about because it sounds pretty sort of good on one hand bad on the other sort of thing um, and we covered last we covered the good bit last week you know, knowing the power of, of Jesus resurrection and so this Sunday I want to unpack the idea of what it means to suffer with him sharing in his death and uh, it sounds a bit intimidating um, you know, as, as a Christian, if I went up to you and said, and how are you experiencing Jesus' death at the moment? What's your, how's the suffering going? Um, most of us don't actually want to talk about it. Um, and, and if we do, I don't want to hear it. Um, because, you know, misery loves company um, a lot of the time. Uh, and so we're doing something a, a little bit different. If this is your first time here today, I don't know whether to congratulate you or to apologize um, because this isn't quite how I would normally preach. Um, but we're going to tell, I'm going to get Vicky up a bit later and we're going to talk about how perhaps suffering with Jesus has worked in our life. And, uh, and, and that's a bit tricky because I don't want to tell you about our suffering and make it sound as though I'm a, I'm a martyr. And that, you know, I was, <laughs> we went through some really tough stuff and you, you, just, you just don't know how good I am. Um, I don't want it to sound like that at all. At least not terribly much. Um, and, uh, and so it's more to do with our journey uh, as, as Christians. Because uh, we came to the Christian faith quite late in our lives. We already had two small children. Uh, we were around 30-something. How old are our children? <laughs> um, yeah, okay, we were in our 30s. Um, and... Uh, so we had a, a lot of changes that needed to, to be made in our lives. And so living in the power of that resurrection was a challenge for us. Uh, but the idea of suffering was something we were, we were new to and perhaps didn't understand. And so God was actually very, very good to us, I think, in terms of how he handled the, the strain and the stress of some of the things we went through. And so today I just want to give you a, some idea of how to know whether you're actually suffering for Jesus 
or suffering because of your own stupidity, <laughs> and how the first option is far more fulfilling. So the idea of suffering, especially in a Christian context, is a bit of a contentious area to get into because we all have different ideas about suffering and how God uses it in our lives. Uh, one of the most common ideas about suffering that I heard when I first became a Christian was this idea of suffering in the wilderness. You know, having a wilderness experience was what, what I heard. We were wandering around in the wilderness until sort of God finally dealt with something. Uh, to me, that uh, referred to option two. Uh, I sort of feel that wandering in the wilderness is a choice that you make and therefore it's your own bloody stupid fault. Um, so let, let's, let's move on from that. The suffering persecution for our faith, and that is a, a real suffering, but I, I don't want to sort of harp on that too much this morning. The suffering, there's things like illness, accidents, injustice, and, and death that enter our lives that, that cause suffering. Um, and I don't think this is what Paul's actually talking about here. Uh, they're real things in our lives, and they're real uh, things we have to cope with, and our faith has to take on board when these things happen. Um, and I'm sure there are other things you can add to the list. But the, what I want to talk about is the idea of going through trials to achieve something for the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus died and rose again for a purpose. His purpose was the salvation of mankind. And so for us to join with him in that endeavor is to suffer with him and to share in his, his death and resurrection on the cross. And so... I want to share that idea more in the terms of our favourite New Testament writer James, who uh, of course was a bit of a namby-pamby and, and uh, sort of waltzed around things. He wasn't direct at all. And in uh, chapter 1 verse 2 he says, Dear brothers and sisters, that's you, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Who doesn't give a stuff whether their endurance grows? I mean, come on, <laughs> be honest here. But the thing is that when your faith is tested, endurance does grow. And it's not the only thing. And so from our experience, and Vicky's refused to tell me what she's talking about, and I'm fairly sure it isn't this because she hates it when I talk about this part of, part of our church life. Uh, when we first started coming to church, I refused to volunteer for anything. Now, do not take that on board. <laughs> uh, we love our volunteers, and we love people to volunteer as soon as they feel comfortable to. But I was so intrigued by the, the Word of God that I didn't want to miss a service. We used to come to, we used to have an evening and a morning service, or morning and an evening, depending whether you're being Genesis or not. Um, and we used to go to both of them so that I didn't miss out. Um, and we used to drag our kids along to both of them, tiny tigers and other kids' events like that. Um, but when I finally was persuaded to volunteer, my first act of volunteering was to actually publish the church uh, building fund newsletter because I, I was into that sort of thing, and so I did that. It was in a, uh, I used to have to borrow the church laser printer on a, on a Saturday night, take it home, print, print these things out. Um, and this, is, this is hard to envisage, but the laser printer used to take half an hour before it would print the first page, because I mean, things were slow back then. And then if there was an error, <laughs> you had to go back, do it all again, wait another half an hour. So it could be quite challenging, but I, you know, I didn't really feel like I was suffering for Jesus in doing that. 
And I got involved in creche, uh, which involved changing nappies, and I certainly did feel like I was suffering for Jesus there. Um, I got involved in uh, kids' church, uh, learned how to operate the sound desk, uh, and got involved in small group leadership. But none of these things seemed like trials to me. Most of it was pretty, pretty good fun, apart from the nappy changing. Um, although somehow I, I seem to have become an expert at that. And uh, as a grandparent, I'm not sure that being the go-to guy to change the pooey nappies is, is really something I've aimed for, but it seems to be something that uh, a skill dealing with uh, crap is perhaps my lot in life. Um, it was going as well as you could hope, I guess. And a year later, we got a knock on our door and uh, the pastor, uh, and that he was going to close the church down next week unless we wanted to take it on. Now, there are two things at work here. One of which, he's approached a couple who have both got well-paying jobs, a career path that didn't include um, life in church, and who had said very loudly and clearly on several occasions that there were no way that we would ever be pastors. One, I, every pastor I knew sang on the worship team, and that was never going to happen. Uh, and two, Vicky said she was never going to be the pastor's wife. Now, neither of those things have actually come to pass. I've never been allowed to sing on the worship team, uh, to which, uh, yeah, Vicky was. Um, and Vicky's never been the pastor's wife. She is an ordained pastor like myself. She is not the wife of the pastor. She is a co-pastor with me in the leadership of this church. She is an ordained minister and uh, therefore is not in the back seat at all. I don't put her there because she drives in the back seat if I do. Um, uh, so she sits in the front and uh, I let her drive. Um, it's just, yeah, never mind. Uh, okay. So you've got that. We did not want to be pastors. We did not feel called to ministry. We had no ministry training. Um, we did not know how to run a church service. Uh, we, we, we were fools, if you like, to accept the idea that we could be pastors. And unfortunately, that's the sort of people God likes. Uh, on the other side of that, we had had a visiting pastor preach at our church um, a month or so before that, who had dragged us up the front and prophesied over us. And the upshot of that prophecy was that at some point, he'd prophesied that we would take a leadership role in our church. And he stopped there and said, there's more, but I can't tell you now. And so we'd gone home and, and in a blinding sort of flash, we'd had one of those Holy Ghost moments where we thought, oh, good grief. Our pastor's gonna leave and we're gonna take on the church. And that wasn't a happy moment. Um, but we consoled ourselves by, by rationalising that this was probably a few years into the future and we had time to get ready. A month later, we get this knock at the door. So we knew that, that we had to actually take it on, even though we didn't know how to do it. I mean, I can still remember getting to the end of my first service and thinking, older call, how do you do those? Um, okay, let's make it up. <laughs> And we did. We made stuff up as we went along. Um, we'd moved into this building on the 1st of April, uh, which is, uh, always told me God had a sense of humour. Uh, we used to do things like one week we'd have our service facing this way and the next week we'd actually have the band up that end of the hall uh, just for a bit of variation. Sometimes we'd have them down that side and we'd come in through that door there. 
Because I thought variation was good. I didn't realise it was, it was upsetting people right royally. Uh, <laughs> all this change. I thought it was great fun. Um, and we were experts in church growth when uh, the first Sunday we took over, uh, uh, 40 people turned up. Uh, and so we'd grown from 150 to 40 again overnight. And uh, this, this is where the suffering began because those 40 people rallied behind us and every one of them said we are with you you know you we can see why God's picked you for the job this is this is wonderful we're we're right behind you never get excited if people say they're right behind you because they're usually about a hundred miles behind you 20 of those people never turned up again the next Sunday they were just gone and so that was the first of the (laughs) arrows I guess Um, and it took a long time for us to get a handle on it. As soon as we took this on, I, I, I lost my job. So our income was compromised. Um, and things happened which sort of made life quite difficult for us. Um, but the interesting thing was that none of it actually mattered. It didn't mean that we weren't stressed. It didn't mean that we didn't struggle with what we were doing. It didn't mean that there wasn't uncertainty, that there weren't struggles to face, that we didn't get hurt uh, and all of this. But because we knew that there was something God had planned for us, we were able to get through it. Now, looking back on it, that seems a trite thing to say. But I want to encourage you, if you're going through crap, if you're going through stuff, if you're trying to move forward and it seems hard, you need to search your soul and say, look, is this something that God's brought me to? Is, this, is God in this somewhere? Because if he is, it doesn't matter what you're going through. It isn't going to take the pain away. It isn't going to make things difficult. It doesn't mean you're not going to have to get on your knees and think, how, please God, how am I going to get through this? But it does mean that you know that you're actually suffering with Jesus on the cross for the things that he wants you to do. Now, if you're suffering and you know that it's not from him, stop it. Do something else. Change. But if, if you've got that something in your heart, which you know that you know that you know, I mean, God hasn't spoken to us since in that same way. He said, be pastors of this church. And every so often we ask him, do you want us to leave yet? And he says, no, no. Well, he doesn't. He does nothing. And that was actually one of the most important things. I mean, the beginning of this month, we celebrated 22 years in this building. And the the biggest obstacle we had in the first five years, people asked us that very question, when are you leaving? Because they'd been let down by so many people. That part of the success of this church is basically that Vicky and I just stayed. We didn't even have to be any good. We just stayed. And let me tell you, we weren't. Um, Some people would say we're not even now. But... um, but I just want to encourage you that every, every one of you has a story of, of suffering with Jesus. And the, the only difference between a successful suffering and an unsuccessful one is whether you've actually held on to your faith. And you can hold on to your faith if you know that that's what God is planning for you. So be encouraged. God doesn't take extraordinary people to do the jobs that he wants. He takes people who do the little bit extra and that's all we did he asked us to do that little bit extra and we just kept doing that and we learned along the way 
and we got some teaching and training along the way. But the only thing that God saw in us was a foolishness to say, yes, Lord, pick me. Would you like to come up? I think that the, the key's in the title, The Power of a Resurrected Life. And, you know, the power is there for us. The scriptures tell us that. But the power's there to make the lights work. But we have to actually switch the switch. The power's there, but if we don't go and flick the lights on, nothing happens. And I think that all that Chris is talking about is that we are actually responsible to live in that resurrected life that we've been given. It's really, really easy to look at other people or to blame circumstances, blame others, blame all sorts of things. I mean, even as pastors, we get, you know, people, believe it or not, none of you beautiful people who are here, of course, but... You know, we'll get people come and maybe they've been away for two or three weeks from church and we haven't personally rung them. And, you know, just so you know, we have a lot of people in place to look after people. Chris and I can't be responsible for everybody. But then they can come to us and say, you didn't ring us for three weeks. This is a terrible church. We're leaving. Now, okay, there's some truth in the fact that people need to be looked after but it doesn't all have to be by us and if you're going to choose that that becomes a problem you're not living in the resurrected life you're not taking responsibility for yourself I mean that's a small example in some ways but because she's hard isn't she but, <laughs> but that's how easy it is to get bent out of shape it's so easy. We have opportunity every single day to get bent out of shape by all sorts of things. But we've been given that responsibility to take responsibility for ourselves, for our own life, our own attitudes, our own walk with Jesus. He's done it all for us, but we have to walk in it. But we so often don't. And that whole example of... of you know, what happened and where we'd come from in our previous church, not this church, obviously, we were talking about where we'd come from. Um, it's so easy to blame others. But we do have to look inside ourselves and say, God, why am I here? What is it you want from me in this situation? What is it that you're trying to do in my life? What is it that you're trying to shift in me? It's, it's about taking our eyes off others and our circumstances and actually putting them back on ourselves and putting them before God. And it's not something we like to do very often because we want everybody else to change and adjust to fit in. We don't want to be the ones that have to do it. And the reason we don't is because either we don't think we've got anything that needs changing or it's just too hard to do. And, you know, the truth is it is hard. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not. Or stand here, I should say. It is hard to make changes. 
But we have the power of Almighty God with us to help us and guide us to make the changes or do the things that he's requiring of us. And we truly do have that if we can just flip that thing inside of us and allow God to work through us. It makes it easier. It makes that burden easy. His burden is light. And it actually works that way if we can flip the switch. Mm. So that's our encouragement to you today is, is really to look at where you are, the, where God has placed you right now and look at those things around you and say, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to act? What do you want me to say in this circumstance? Because believe me, God will be trying to shift something. He's always trying to shift something in us, in us, not in everybody else, in us, in me. In me, right now, he wants to shift things. I know what some of them are. I don't have to share them with everybody. I'll tell you later. <laughs> it's ongoing. That's one of mine, <laughs> telling people. Because um, I want you, we need to understand, in Ephesians 4.11, it tells, tells us that we're gifts to you guys. It says, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. We're gifts to you guys. Often I think we're unwelcome gifts because it says that the gift's responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Whereas the body of Christ thinks it's the pastor's job to build up the body of Christ. And therefore when we start building up other people, uh, people resent the fact that we, we sort of spread the load. That we're actually called to equip you guys to carry out the work of the ministry. It doesn't mean we're absolved from carrying out the work of the ministry. We're not passing that on. But our job is to actually encourage you guys to live in the resurrection power of the cross, but also to suffer with Jesus. And so it's actually a pretty hard gig to get people enthusiastic about the fact that you're all called to suffer. <laughs> Can I get a, a, an amen from anyone? You know, we're all called to actually take on the burden that Jesus gives us. But as Vicky said, that burden is actually light. He says that it's light, but he doesn't say there isn't a burden. And so it's actually a question of living in the power of a resurrection life is actually knowing that you can do it no matter what circumstances come against you. And the fact that we will go through suffering, we will go through trials. But if you've got that faith, that encouragement that, God is working with you, that you have that resurrection power in your life, the suffering actually becomes worthwhile. Uh, it enables you to have a story to tell, if you like, uh, which doesn't actually glorify us, but it glorifies God in how he has worked through ordinary people and he will continue to work through ordinary people. Never think you're ordinary because you're in trouble. If you think you're ordinary, that means God can use you. And so never say, I will, I'm never going to be a dot, 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 because God is listening. And sometimes that's exactly where he's pointing you. Um, so be careful what you say. It may happen to you. Um, but that, that's just a, an idea. As I say, it's not how we'd normally preach, but we just wanted to give people the, an idea that all this stuff is real 
in people's lives. It's not just scriptures that we read and say, well, that sounds really holy. It's actually involved getting in the dirt and the grabbiness of the trenches of dealing with people and, and problems and, and going through a lot of stuff that strengthens you and doesn't make you weaker, that doesn't wear you down but actually builds you up because of the fact that you're not suffering alone, you're suffering with Jesus and it's Jesus' power and strength and spirit that we work through. So I want to encourage you to keep thinking about that as we approach Easter. You're a powerful bunch of people. You have the power, as Vicky said, the power is there to change the world. You've just got to flick the switch. Could I ask you all to stand? Who here is an ordinary person? Good, if you're not, I'm not going to pray for you. Um, but I, I want to pray for, for the ordinary believer because we're all ordinary believers. And the, the thing that makes us different is that spark of the Holy Spirit. The extraordinary comes from God. doesn't come from us. And so, Lord, I pray right now for the presence of your Spirit in every single soul, every single heart, every single mind in this place. I thank you that as we step out in our daily lives, that we know that we have you at our side, that the trials and the struggles that we go through are part of building us as believers, building us as, as apostles, teachers, pastors, whatever it is we're called to do, dinner party hosts, crew, preachers, welcomers, hospitality people. They're all things that we can undertake in our lives to be with Jesus in his suffering to take part of the power of a resurrected life and so Lord I pray for that touch of your Holy Spirit on every single person here in Jesus name Amen And while, while you're just standing there I just want to ask if you've never invited the Holy Spirit into your life if you've never in, said look I want to become a follower of Jesus I want to cast away my old life and start a new one because a, resur a resurrected life isn't, isn't as uh, somebody mentioned this morning when I couldn't get my surface to open because I'd had to reset it and it wanted my password and we don't pray a prayer to invite Jesus into our life as a password moment it's not like he's given us the password to heaven so once we've typed it in we're, we're in it's actually a password to a door which we open to start a journey and we started our journey with Jesus uh, 34, 5 years ago. No, 20, 29 or 30. <laughs> so I'm not good with numbers, sue me. <laughs> and let me tell you, we're different today uh, than we were 29 or 30 years ago. Because Jesus actually changes us as we go along. We've had opportunities to lose our faith, to walk away from our faith, to lose our connection with Jesus Christ along the way. It doesn't just happen at that moment where we say a prayer. But unless we start there, we're never going to start on that journey. So I want to ask everybody just to close their eyes for a moment. And if you're here this morning, you've never asked Jesus into your life. You've never said, look, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you, Lord, as my saviour in my life, then I want to invite you in a moment 
just to raise your hand so that I can see it. We can pray a prayer together. Or if you're here and you, you've been on that journey, but you know you've wandered off the path, that your connection with Jesus has been severed, that you are no longer walking that journey side by side with him. He always invites us to come back. And if that's you, I'd like to invite you to raise your hand as well and we can pray that prayer again. So if that's you, you've never given your life to Jesus or you know that you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. While nobody's looking around, every eye is closed, can I just have you raise your hand nice and high so that I can see it? And I'd love us to pray a prayer. We're going to pray it all as a congregation. But I'd love to know who I'm praying with this morning if we pray that prayer. Is there anybody here who wants to accept Jesus Christ for the first time? Or just again to renew that relationship? Awesome. Let me finish in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this church, for these people, for every single believer here. I thank you that together we can change the world. One person at a time. One relationship at a time. One connection with you at a time. Help us, Lord. Help us be your hands and feet on this earth. Mighty Jesus, we pray. Amen.